0: escaped it I thought I escaped what would make me depressed no depression came right along with me to the Grammys right along with me you know meeting my some of my idols Sting and Whitney Houston shish so I yeah I I didn't No, you I went along with the you're, you're not depressed you're tired
1: Welcome to Imposters, the show where I talk to world-class execs, athletes, and entertainers about their personal challenges and how overcoming those challenges has shaped their careers and lives for the better. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. My guest today is Michelle Williams. Michelle is perhaps best known as a former member of Destiny's Child, the iconic R&B group that dominated the music charts in the early aughts. If you're a millennial, you're probably very familiar with some of their hits like Say My Name, Survivor, and Bootylicious. To this day, Destiny's Child is one of the highest selling female singing groups of all time. Michelle has also released several solo records, including Heart to Yours, Do You Know, and Unexpected, which went on to top Billboard charts. But despite all of the success, Michelle has struggled with her mental health And in many ways, she's the perfect example of how depression can be a very private and hidden mental illness. Recently, Michelle has released her first book, a memoir titled Checking In, about her struggles with depression and anxiety throughout her life and career. And she was so gracious to share her story with us today. My full conversation with Michelle Williams right after this quick break. Michelle, just checking in. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing wonderful. I am doing so good. I've got my brew. Coffee,
1: I got it here also. Coffee,
0: not not IPA brew. Coffee, <laughs> caffeine brew. <laughs> I'm wonderful. I, I'm so glad to speak with you guys today. Well, you
1: are you are the perfect person to have on this show because you know we were talking about this. Right before we start our conversation, imposters is all about the intersection of professional career and mental health. And I think mm. you've probably thought about that intersection quite a bit. And so I actually couldn't think of a better guest to have for this conversation. And I'm really excited for it.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: Before we track back into your career, I would love for a second to understand what checking in really looks like for you? How do you create mm. that space for yourself to to check in?
0: Checking in is from the three pillars of my book, Checking In. So those three pillars are checking in with yourself, checking with others, checking with God. So checking in with myself literally was this morning. Okay, I do it morning, sometime during the day, and then at night before I go to bed. This morning, I kind of woke up like, Grateful that I woke up, but a little irritated that my sleep was disturbed. And so I wake up like, okay, you're going to be okay. You're going to have a great day. Even though your sleep was disturbed, you're going to drink your coffee. You're going to work out. It's going to be great. Life is going to life, but you, you have the tools to how you're going to respond to it. I affirm myself. That's great. Checking in with others is literally I check in with people throughout the day that give me a good boost of positivity and I'm able to reciprocate and do the same for them. Checking in with God is just a literal prayer, maybe even just a posture of gratitude. And it's really simple. There have been days where I don't do the three pillars and I can feel a total difference when I think, oh, I can just do it internally. No, you have to say it out of your mouth.
1: What do you feel on a day when you aren't doing it vocally, when you aren't actually speaking out and checking in on those three pillars?
0: Not centered, unstable, literal, even physical like pressure in my chest because everything around you, anything that's got some energy needs to hear the goodness. It needs to hear even your honesty. Because what happens is you bottle it all up inside, then you get anxiety. I was having brunch with someone yesterday. They went to the ER because they thought they were having a heart attack. And the doctor told them, your blood work, everything came back normal. That pressure in your chest was anxiety. Jeez. I thought I thought he had gas or indigestion. <gasps> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, yes, go to the ER. Go now, anxiety.
1: I love Michelle's process here about checking in because I think it accomplishes two really important things. The first is that checking in makes you aware of the difficult emotions your body automatically protects itself from. And when you don't do this, your emotions bottle up and then blow up all at once. The second thing it accomplishes is when you check in, you receive so much good data from your body that can help inform your decision-making moving forward. By noticing what's giving you good feedback and what's taking away from your energy, you can be more deliberate in your behavior. And so the act of checking in really is this act of taking your body off of autopilot and really understanding what's going on in between your two ears. I want to get to, in a few minutes, kind of what, experiences you had in your life that have led to you understanding the importance of checking in. But I want to start by people understanding your story. So can you share with the audience before you joined Destiny's Child, what was your life like up to that point, And what was your interest in being a singer up to that point?
0: All right. Well, shout out to anybody who could possibly be from my hometown of Rockford, Illinois, that's watching this. Rockford is a city about 60 miles west of Chicago. And middle-class family, there was four siblings total. My mother was a registered nurse. Dad, a blue-collar worker, car salesman as well and grew up in church, so faith was definitely a strong foundation. My mother had eight brothers and sisters, so close-knit family. But, you know, each household is different. And I'll never forget, um, I'll fast forward up until around the seventh grade, knowing something was a little different, sleeping a lot, grades just dropping out of nowhere. But I think it was a response to things going on in in my house, right? And that's not to go into detail respecting privacy because now that I've gone through therapy, I have compassion for those in my house. (laughs) But it affected me
1: I want to talk for a second about your um, relationship with singing. When did you get into singing?
0: Oh, I got into singing. I was a little girl singing in the children's choir at church. Y'all ever looked at children's choir and they look like they don't want to be there? That was me. <laughs> that was me.
1: So you did not like singing at first.
0: N- not really. Not really. I hated going to church every Sunday. I was like, mom, we went to church last Sunday. Do we have to go to church? But she did not play that. She kept us in church every Sunday. We were in church at least twice a week during the week, including Sunday. So three times a week. Right. So I was like, I'm over it. But then in the seventh grade, I was in my school choir and we had a singing engagement at a local church in my hometown. And I got to sing, reach out and touch. And, That's when I knew that I had something unique. But I didn't take it seriously enough to do it as a profession because that wasn't encouraged in my house. I had made up business cards to just sing on the side. But education was my priority. Yeah. You know, it was made to be our priority. So when
1: did you know that it could be a career?
0: I knew it could be a career after I got the opportunity to sing background for Monica. I was in my second year of college, the last semester, a friend of mine called me out of the blue. He found my number in the bottom of a moving box or something of his, called the number to see if it was still the same. And it was, and he told (laughs) me of this opportunity. And so he said, hey, I'm I'm about to go on the road with Monica. And you know, we're co, I think they were co-headlining a tour with the group 98 Degrees. Some of y'all just know 98 degrees as a temperature. Some of us know 98 degrees as an actual boy band. They were so cute and could sing really well. So I said, oh, well, tell Monica I said hi. And if she needs a background singer to call me, he calls me a few weeks later and says, can you get to Atlanta tomorrow? I said, I can't afford a next day plane ticket. And his cousin worked for United Airlines. I got a buddy pass, flew to Atlanta, auditioned to sing background for the R&B star, Monica. That's how I met Destiny's Child on the tour. I wasn't officially a member of Destiny's Child yet. There were other members in the group. And that was in 99. At the end of 99, I get a phone call from Janela Segura, who was a dancer for Monica. But she also happened to be Destiny's Child's choreographer. And while they were looking, you know, for new girls, they referred me to Miss Tina. I affectionately call her Miss Tina, which is Beyonce's mother. Miss Tina gives me a phone call and says, hey, we've heard great things about you. We want you to come to Houston. So I fly to Houston on Southwest Airlines. I get to Houston. They pick me up from the airport. It's Miss Tina and Solange, their youngest. And um, I go meet Beyonce and Kelly. And we sing a little bit. We just talk about life. I think we went to Papa Doe's for lunch the next day. And I just remember saying, wow, if I never get the opportunity to see these girls again, they are amazing. And not only did I get to see them again, we traveled the world together. We've had so many milestones together. Um, and I I tell young people that story, too, because work ethic and how you treat people It's so important. It's so important. I wasn't the best singer or the best dancer, but I believe it was something about my work ethic, even as a background singer for Monica. How you show up, how you treat people could literally be an open door for that one phone call or that reference. Be referable, basically. Be referable. Totally. And come with the goods when they call your name. Be ready when they call your name.
1: As history can attest now, Michelle was certainly ready when her name was called. Destiny's Child would go on to incredible success with 13 hit singles, over 50 million record sales worldwide, and winning numerous awards, including multiple Grammys. And while Michelle's career was taking off, internally, she was beginning to suffer.
0: So the entertainment industry did not cause depression I didn't sell my soul and now the result is depressed. Yeah, all that stuff and rumors that people put. Actually, Destiny's Child, I would say probably saved my life. When I say Destiny's Child, Beyonce and Kelly, two loyal sisters, not blood related, but definitely purpose partners, soulmates. And I'll never forget during Destiny's Child, I told our manager. I said I could be wrong. I said I feel like I'm feeling depressed. And Matthew Knowles was like, "No, you can't be depressed. Y'all just signed a multi million dollar deal. Y'all are about to go on tour, and y'all have Barbie dolls, Hasbro, and Mattel. But you talk about you're depressed, you can't be depressed." And I said, "You know what? Maybe I'm homesick. I'm, I'm gonna just charge it to that. Maybe I could be tired because we worked." A And um, after Destiny's Child was pretty much over, um, just kind of slipped into a depression. And like I said, I did not get a diagnosis until I was in my 30s. So imagine going from seventh grade to a little bit of college, majoring in criminal justice, minoring in sociology, thinking I'm about to be an attorney or a forensic psychologist, and then get an opportunity to sing background for Monica, that leads to Destiny's Child. So I'm going through all from seventh grade all the way up into this because me coping with depression was isolation. I just knew to get out of whatever was making me uncomfortable. So I would just isolate, even on the road with the girls. One day, Miss Tina, Beyonce's mother, had to come in my hotel room and open up the curtains. Like, girl, why are you in the dark? <laughs> I'm like, get out my business. I like watching movies and eating room service, you know. Um, But symptom of depression. But thank God through therapy, counseling, getting the right tools and resources, I don't have those days.
1: Even though Michelle was fortunate enough to have access to the resources she needed, she still struggled for years dealing with depression while also having a very public career.
0: I did have a day leading up to say 2013 is when I publicly disclosed by accident, depression. I was promoting a Broadway show, Fela, that we were about to go on tour and somehow I just blurted out that, hey, I've been dealing with depression too. So that's been 2013. Everything's cool. 2018, I find myself checking in to a treatment facility for depression. Because I realized, even though I had the diagnosis of depression, I was using therapy as a reactive. I would mm-hmm. only go to therapy to tell on somebody. Yep. He did this. <laughs> he cheated. I don't deserve that. Everybody's getting on my nerves. Just reactive type therapy. Mm-hmm. And of course, the therapist is process, helping me process and guiding me through it versus doing the inner work of why am I responding in certain ways that are exasperating the whole situation even worse? And why is it leading me into depression? So from 2018 up until now, my processing has been about me and the healing. And I'm attracting better opportunities and I'm also attracting better relationships personally and business-wise because I'm doing the inner work and that personal development versus using therapy as a venting session to talk about what everybody else has done to me versus how did I possibly have a hand in certain things as well.
1: I like what Michelle says here about reactive therapy. It's common for many of us to start therapy when we're experiencing big emotions in the same way that we only go to the doctor when we're sick. I know for me, in my early years of therapy, I was completely reactive myself. When I was feeling heightened anxiety, I would hit up my therapist and say, hey, can we chat now? But therapy is most effective when it's part of your mental health routine, just like you work out for your physical health or any other healthy habits. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we get into how Michelle's quiet depression manifested during the height of her career, how she dealt with the end of Destiny's Child, and how she found her new purpose. Stay with us.
0: Take your business further with a smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card.
1: And we're back. Before the break, Michelle talked about the start of her singing career and how early hints of her depression showed up. So often, depression can be nearly undetectable by those around us, and often even to ourselves. And this was very much the case for Michelle for quite a long time. You know, one question I have about that is, I would say that arguably the peak of your and Destiny Child success after the release of Survivor. Mm. You got incredibly positive feedback from your fans. Like to me, that had to have been one of the highs of that journey. How did you rationalize your own feelings of depression and anxiety at that point in your career when you were also experiencing the highs of just success in your music? How did you deal with this idea that I am wildly successful in my career right now, yet I still don't feel right.
0: I think because I was so high functioning, it took me until I got my diagnosis. I'm talking about all of this reflective. Yep. In the moment. Maybe that like I said that one time I was like I feel like I'm depressed, but I think even after that I just went on to doing, went back to, you know, even laying in the bed sometimes. It's when you're when you're high functioning, Laying in the bed almost gets confused with just exhaustion because you've been working yeah, so hard. Yeah, you're just tired. You're just tired.
1: So do you think at the time you didn't even view it necessarily as depression? Like you didn't know as anything related to your mental health?
0: I did not. I thought I had escaped it. I thought I escaped what would make me depressed. No depression came right along with me to the Grammys. Right along with me, you know, meeting my some of my idols, Sting and Whitney Houston. Shh. Oh, Sting was my imaginary husband until I found out he was married. I was like, oh, I don't play that. You can't be, you can't be lusting after somebody's husband. So, <laughs> 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 so I. Yeah, I I didn't, no, I went along with the, you're, you're not depressed, you're tired.
1: I want you to talk for a second about your experience with depression, because I think it looks different for different people. What did that look like for you? Like, w- what was the feeling? How did it manifest for you? And the second part is, how were you able to perform at such a high level with Destiny's Child, when you were dealing with depression. That's an incredibly large task to deal with. You basically have two full-time jobs, managing your depression and being a performer.
0: Absolutely. Now, I don't think, it. this is not an official diagnosis in like the physician's handbook, at least as of now it is not. But um, it's been talked about more and more ever since the young lady, Chesley Chris died by suicide. And her mother was talking and saying that her child had high-functioning depression, meaning you can function at a high level with depression because your job is possibly a great distraction to the symptoms of depression. But the minute you put them heels in the closet, take the lashes off or for you Alex it could be the minute you take your wet gym clothes off and you sit on the sofa and you don't have something stimulating you you know that's what high functioning depression is as long as you are functioning at a high level you are okay I mean that's the same for addicts high functioning addicts you can be an alcoholic an actual drug user But you still show up at work like okay. So depression isn't always, you know, in the bed, but I have both in the bed for weeks, Alex, at a time. Not bathing. Let me tell you something. Depression can have you stinky. It can have you stinky. Let's let's be real. Let's be real, because sometimes you don't even have the energy to get up, to bathe, brush your teeth, wash the dishes, clean up. You're so overwhelmed with just trying to survive and live and open up your eyes from day to day. That's a task, you know. But my uncle, who is a um, family physician, told me one day, he said, T, my first name is Tanitra, Michelle is my middle name. He said, T, if you can just do this. He said, I'm not expecting you to do 80 things in one day because people with depression, when you wake up in the morning, you're already thinking about 5 p.m., 9 p.m. Versus it's 7.30 a.m. Think about what you can do from 7.30 to 7.45. Can you get up? Can you put your two feet on the carpet? Can you sit on the side of the bed? Okay, I'm up. Okay, it looked like for me, Okay, hey, I'm on the side of the bed. Let me get up. Let me brush my teeth. Can you walk to the kitchen and make some a pot of coffee? And he also said, Can you eat some oatmeal? Because I was losing weight. I don't need to miss a meal. It shows up instantly. I was skeletal. I was hor. I was just so small. He said, even if you do that and get back in the bed, you've made some progress. Yep. Then it looked like, well, I can brush my teeth. The shower is right behind me. This sounds crazy, but it's really what people with depression go through. Okay, I can step in the shower and shower. Yeah, my mother, who's a nurse, feels like a shower makes everything better. Like, Mom, I have the flu. Take a shower, <laughs> and then drink ginger ale, right? <laughs> but it was something about getting that body moving, and then if you got to get back in the bed, at least you're clean. Okay. Then it looked in 2018, it looked like doing that to instead of me getting back in the bed, I would make my bed. I would put all 80 pillows back on the bed.
1: A lot of pillows.
0: A lot of pillows. I wouldn't mess that bed up until it was nighttime because you know what I did? I said, at least sit on the sofa and watch TV do your therapy session. Then I found a trainer here in Atlanta. He goes by Mr. Shut Up and Train. He just wants you to shut up and train. I didn't do a lot of shutting up, but I did do a lot of training.
1: There we go. He
0: is one of the people and my therapist who saved my life. Saved my life. So I just want to encourage people to just start incremental. Just think about getting yourself from one. And some sometimes when you're dealing with depression, Alex, people say, oh, just take it a day at a time. It was a second at a time. Yeah. A minute at a time. Not a day, because that can be too overwhelming. But just minute by minute, second by second, and make those little steps. But what got me going, Alex... Is a part of me still has some vanity? Like, the world didn't stop because I was laying in the bed depressed. Yeah, people checked on me, but people went on about their lives and their in their businesses. The earth didn't stop on its axis to be like, stop, world. She's depressed. Depression is a thief. It is a thief of productivity. Is it a thief? It's a thief of joy. In life, And I was like, I no longer want to have this thing in my house.
1: I love Michelle's very simple breakdown of how she managed her depression. By focusing on the smallest and simplest of steps, like getting out of bed in the morning, she was slowly able to gain momentum in the act of living again. I think this is a great approach to any of the challenges we feel are momentous in life. By breaking it down into these small steps, the task becomes easier and more approachable. So you have your own podcast.
0: I do. Thank you for the acknowledgement. I do. I do.
1: And it is great. And you interviewed your dear friend Kelly Rowland on it. And one of the questions that you asked her was how she deals with loss. hmm And Kelly's answer was that she really tries to escape the feeling of loss. I'm curious... How did you personally deal with the loss of Destiny's Child breaking up as a group? Did you view it as a loss?
0: Um, Absolutely, you view it as a loss. I thought we toured together forever. What are you talking about? (laughs) Absolutely a loss. Because then I had to figure out, because what happened was we were doing solo projects and then coming back as a group. I thought that's what we were going to do forever. And then it was like, no, this is real. It's done. Okay, It's cute that we've gotten back together throughout the years. Absolutely. But it was the loss of community for me. It was the loss of we have so much fun together on the road. I missed that so much. It's like you can take the darts better when it's when you're with your girls versus when you're just by yourself. And each of us individually went through the same thing. Don't think it was just me. No, each of us went through the same feeling, grieving loss of connection, community. When I say connection, that daily connection, that daily knowing when I wake up in the morning, I don't have to endure an interview by myself. I can sleep in a little late because Kelly's in the makeup chair. It gives me 30 minutes extra to sleep.
1: It was you family. Know?
0: It's family. Absolutely.
1: Did you wrestle with identity at all? Like who is Michelle outside of Destiny Child?
0: Absolutely. I've wrestled with identity. Do I have to be what people continuously know of me to be in Destiny's Child? Are y'all expecting fire, sequins, glam, <laughs> popping up out the state? What are y'all expecting? Yeah. Living up to that. A Michelle Williams budget was not a Destiny's Child budget. <laughs> you know what I mean? And all of us talked about that.
1: You know, one question you spoke about is community. You felt the loss of community and family. You know, these two women who you spend so much time with that you could always rely on, uh, whether it was for interviews or whatever it may be. How did you find the answer to who is my community after Destiny's Child broke up?
0: Trusting the people who are guiding this individual Michelle Williams brand, leaning into friends, You know, other friends that I had outside of Beyonce and Kelly, Um, because what happens is if I didn't do that, I'd still be looking at old points on the board. You're going to have to go through this awkward phase of everybody's going to go through that phase of not knowing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I don't if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to go through those cycles of failure, success. You're going to go through. And that was me. What do I do? Who manages? Who's supposed to manage me? But, you know, I went through that. We broke up about 17 years ago. So that's a long, long time ago. You know, now, of course, I'm sure as ever before and have so much clarity on my purpose and what I'm supposed to be doing. But that probably lasted. That was 2005. That probably lasted a couple years of trying to, you know, figure it out
1: and how did you to that point talking about identity where do you ultimately net out on who michelle williams is outside of destiny's child you kind of talked about these two directions you talked about one direction was kind of continuing to be that person that society expected of you the the persona that you played as part of this group and then the other one is the path that's the less sexy less popular path where do you ultimately net out with that
0: You're going to find success when you find your purpose. I also believe I, I didn't come this far and it'd be like, okay, that's it. Thank you for your services. No, I've got too much experience, too much exposure, and too much access to just lay down and give up. So I am okay with knowing that now my purpose is in the area of healing, the purpose of being a mental health advocate, the place of encouraging people, whether that's through my, my public speaking and telling my story and telling my journey is helping so Absolutely. many people. I have no problem being an open book and, you know, I, I'm not the expert in it. I'm just I'm just one of the players in the in this whole world of what people are going through of somebody that can encourage you to like, you know, you're here. We got it. Let's go. What do you need? How can I serve you? That's why I was even going through those steps individually of what you do when you're depressed and you seem like you can't get out the bed. I'll do that every day.
1: Michelle Williams, thank you so much for joining Imposters. Thank you. Michelle Williams is such an important example of how depression can be a subtle, silent, and dangerous disorder. You can be a pop star in the number one R&B group in the country, winning Grammys and meeting your idols, and still be struggling to get out of bed in the morning. But I love her approach to reaching a healthier mental state. First, by checking in with her own mind and body, as well as her support system, and then by taking things one micro step at a time when life starts to feel too heavy. It may sound simple, but these little actions can be extremely powerful in desperate times. Now, imposters, listeners, we need your help. We would love to hear from you on how the conversations on Imposters have impacted your life. How does this show help you in your career or your personal life? Are there any particular guests or episodes that have stood out to you? And tell me the stuff that you haven't liked, where you want the show to get better. Our goal is simple. We want to make this as valuable as humanly possible and make the show worthy of your time. So shoot me an email at at morningbrew.com and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. Our senior producer is Vishnu Vallabhaneni and Makila Heck is our producer. Brian Henry is our executive producer and A.B. Silver is our booking producer. Our sound engineers are Dan Bowza and Rosemary Minkler. Greg Jacobs is our video producer and Sarah Singer is our VP of Multimedia. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Original music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler.